ComC.com is your home for buying, selling, and flipping all of the hottest trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 23 million cards across all major eras and genres. With a ComC.com account, you can purchase cards from different sellers over time and ship them home together later or immediately reprice them for sale on the ComC marketplace to try and flip. To continue serving collectors as our hobby grows, ComC is actively hiring for a range of different roles. Learn more and apply online at comc.com jobs. You're listening to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, a podcast where we discuss both the hobby and business sides of collecting. I'm your host, Mike Summer, and I want to help you buy, sell, and trade your way into a collection you'll love. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute presented by ComC. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about disruption and disruption in the sports card industry. I'm a big fan of disruption in almost any industry. We've seen it in almost every industry that has ever existed. And when that happens, it's usually slightly painful for some of the old standby companies and people who love to do things the way that they've always done them. But long term, in almost every situation, disruption brings an industry forward and moves an industry forward. The same thing can be said in the sports card industry. In the early 80s, we had disruption from the big three. Fleer instigated starting in this in the 60s. That led to Donruss coming on board with Fleer in the early 80s to start producing cards. We had Upper Deck disrupt cards in 1989, which led to the, the change of higher quality output and higher quality products being produced. We had eBay come and disrupt the industry with the internet. And people thought that that was going to be the end of the hobby shop until hobby shops started to adapt. We had ComC come in and disrupt by aggregating cards from multiple sellers into one single purchase to save on shipping. We had sports lots come in and disrupt by providing a cost-effective way to make bulk purchases of base and insert cards from a variety of sellers all aggregated into one interface. And most recently, we've started to see a new round of disruption. We had breakers who came in and disrupted, and now we're starting to see companies like Collectible come in and make these huge, iconic, legendary trading cards be made available to the average collector. And yes, you're only owning a piece of it and a fractional share of that big collectible, but you are still having an opportunity to own a small piece of that, something that has never been done before. And today, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking with Ezra Levine, CEO of Collectible, about his platform, about his company, where they came from, and where they're headed. I hope you enjoy the conversation, and we're going to get to that conversation as soon as I tell you about Underdog Collectibles, the online shop run by collectors for collectors. They do a variety of things. They break new product every Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday night. You can also go to udogcollect.com and find sealed wax boxes that you can purchase, and they'll ship directly to your house. And you can follow them on Facebook and YouTube and have some great social interaction. Those groups have a lot of good conversation, people sharing their hits, asking questions, talking about their collecting stories. So check them out at udogcollect.com and tell them Wax Pack Hero sent you. Ezra, welcome to the show. 
Thanks for having me on tonight. For those who are not aware, let's start by just explaining a little bit about what fractional ownership even is. So fractional ownership at its core is taking something that's really expensive and really valuable and making it affordable for everybody. We've applied this concept of fractional ownership to high value, iconic, culturally and historically relevant sports collectibles. So we're doing everything from modern and vintage cards to game-worn memorabilia to trophies. Right? So we're, we're looking exclusively at the high-end sports collectibles market and trying to make items that have historically been out of reach for most but the wealthiest of collectors amongst us and making it digestible and affordable and available to sports fans of any income bracket all across the country and hopefully soon all across the world. So where did the idea for collectible even come from? Hmm. Yeah, so here's a good opportunity for me to give a little bit of a hat tip to the previous version of collectible, right? So for some people who might be in the hobby, collectible uh, has actually been around since 2014. Collectible was previously uh, a free app uh, that aggregated sports auction data results. So you'd go onto the collectible app and you type in a collectible item and it would give you, uh, I believe every single auction result of that particular item, I believe since 1974. So they, they ran that company through about 2018 and the regulatory climate made fractionalization possible. And that prior management team pivoted the business away from the data aggregation into this fractionalization concept. And they looked to bring on a new CEO of the business and a new management team that could really take the company into this next chapter. And so they, they, they landed on me. So help us understand a little bit, you know, you talked about what the original founders did, what they were looking to do. They brought on you and this, and this new management team. What's your background in cards? What's your experience in the, in the card and collectible world? So I've grown up in the hobby my entire life. My, my dad's a big collector. He's a big collector. So, you know, I, I, I still remember as a kid, my dad would leave the family for about three, three days every summer and he'd go out to the nationals and there's this ongoing running joke in my family that dad is gone again with his hobby buddies. We have no clue where he's going or what he's doing, but he was always in Cincinnati or Chicago or any of these cities. And he would come back from the nationals and he would... We would sit on his bed. I'll never forget. It was some of the best memories of my childhood. It was sitting on the bed with my siblings. Uh, and my dad was just sort of unwrapping and unveiling everything that he purchased at the Nationals. And he would explain the tradition and the history behind it. And, and you know, he was a big uh, Kofax guy and Mantle guy. So I really grew up in and around the hobby. You know, I like, you know, sort of a lot of kids growing up in the 90s, I collected cards myself. I had this uh, this dream that because I collected cards when I was uh, a kid that I'd be able to retire in my early 30s for my entire portfolio of these amazing, valuable cards, only to find out that, and I've gone through it probably 12 times ever since, that my cards are probably worth about $100 total. And they're taking up pretty, pretty valuable real estate in my parents' apartments still. So, you know, I, my, my background is, you know, just, you know, from, from being in a collector family, knowing about it, hearing about it, knowing my dad's contacts in the industry, and I collected as a kid, you know, like, like I think a lot of kids, you know, sort of went through that bust cycle in the hobby. I sort of lost touch with it a little bit. And I found myself after college, I, was, uh, I went back to New York City and I got into the, the world of the, of the financial markets and I was working at an investment fund. 
And after about 10 years of doing that, I was looking for my next opportunity. And so I was talking to a bunch of people, spoke to my dad, and he was like, you know, there's something going on in this sports collectibles world. You might want to check it out. And so I did a lot of networking, a lot of talking, a lot of researching. And what I saw really was this fascinating opportunity, I thought, of here's an industry that had some of the most passionate uh, participators of the industry, some of the most passionate hobbyists of any industry I'd ever seen before. So I, I love the fact that there was that passion already existing. And I found the financial returns data. And I know that oftentimes that's sort of like a, you know, like a yucky word in this industry. Are you an investor? Or are you a collector? Right. But, you know, I, the, the returns at the upper end of the industry were something that I thought were, were really, really appealing and really, really attractive. But you know, they, they weren't available to, uh, to many collectors. They're really sort of concentrated in the hands of very wealthy individuals. And I thought that, that was such a cool opportunity to be able to kind of knock down that barrier to entry and to make it affordable and democratic for any collector of any income bracket. You talked about how one of the goals for the, the company is to make owning a piece of some of these iconic high dollar super premium cards available to people at all levels by fractionalizing them and offering them at a share at a lower price point. What's the minimum value of a card that, that you guys are even considering as one of the, the assets that you'll fractionalize? Yeah. So an individual offering, I think the lowest we've ever done is 12,500 is the lowest we've ever done. So that's a, a loose threshold. I'd say anything over 10,000 is fractionalizable as we're currently doing it. We are exploring ways to kind of go a little bit lower stream. Uh, but, you know, really what we do is if there's an item that we like and we think we want to put on the platform, but it's less than 10,000, we'll group it together in what we call a basket. So we'll take, you know, three or four cards, maybe even more, and we'll put it together into one offering and offer that as the Kawhi Leonard basket or, you know, the Josh Allen basket. And so that that's sort of our way of, of being a little creative and to go a little bit further downstream in terms of value. So you said, you know, 12,500, your, your general target, what's been the, the highest value offering that you've, you've uh, released so far? Yep. So, so that, that 12,500 is probably like the, the minimum uh, size, which is, it makes sense in and of itself as a standalone item for fractionalization. Uh, the, the most expensive that we've completed uh, was a two and a half million dollar uh, Mickey Mantle 1953 PSA 10 one of the only two in the world. So we fractionalized uh, that. And now it's currently trading on our marketplace at three and a half million dollars. So investors are already at 40%, give or take on that. We also we have a, a 1916 Babe Ruth Sporting News PSA 7 coming. And uh, that IPO is going to be for $3.69 million. That's coming uh, early next month. One of the, the questions that I've, I've heard often is, this, that's great and all. It's nice that, that I own this share. But what am I going to do with it? You know, and, and I know that you've got some kind of process, both for kind of a full, I'm going to call it a cash out of, of that offering where, where the entire asset is sold to, to somebody else and, yep. and all the people who own shares re receive their return, as well as, as something that I think you just mentioned, your new market. And can you touch on that a little bit more, the, the market that has been introduced to be able to have investors, owners, whatever you want to call it, be able to 
trade their ownership interest without the entire asset being sold? Yep, you got it. So yeah, the, you're right. There, there, are, there are two really primary sort of, you know, uh, you know, sort of liquid opportunities for people to get in and out of uh, their shares, right? One uh, is our secondary market. We unveiled that about two months ago. Effectively, think of like a little mini stock market where, you know, these sports collectibles trade and they fluctuate in value. Luckily for us, they've gone up more than they've gone down. It's been a really hot market over the last six months or what have you. Uh, but the items really fluctuate in value and people can get in and out of them if, Things go down, they could buy more. If things go up, they could sell. Or uh, so you know, it's a, it's a liquid secondary market that we have attached to collectible, and we're actually going to be expanding that uh, to be effectively stock market hours. So as of right now, what we've done is every uh, every one of these collectibles trades twice per week, and what we call power hour, one hour a day, uh, twice per week. These kind of trade live. We're actually expanding that to every collectible that is eligible for this for the secondary market. We'll trade every single day, uh, five days per week, 9.30 a.m. to four o'clock. So it'll really mimic what you see on the New York Stock Exchange or what you see with the NASDAQ. It'll be very similar to, to that in terms of the cadence and the timing of the marketplace. But instead of trading shares of Facebook or Amazon or Netflix or Google, you're trading shares of Michael Jordan and Mickey Mantle. Now, do you take a, a commission on those transactions as well? So we, we don't as of now. We, we will be. Uh, we have to become what's called a broker dealer. Broker dealer, it's a, it's a fancy word for effectively uh, being able to take uh, trading commissions. We are partnering up with a company called Templa Markets who operates a secondary market currently. They take 1% of the transaction. So investors are assessed a 1% per transaction fee. Uh, but that is not being collected by collectible as of right now. Is that is that taken from the buyer or the seller or both or both? Both. Yep. So if you buy something uh, on the secondary market, if you buy it in the secondary market, it's one percent. If you sell it on the secondary market, it's one percent. So two percent total. Correct. So in a market like we're seeing today, with everything kind of going up and to the right, it can it's easy to see why people would be interested in what collectible is doing interested in both. If you're the owner of that 52 mantle, why you would want to make it available for sale and for fractionalization, but also you can see why people would be interested in buying shares of that. Have you thought about, or how do you see collectible thriving in the midst of a market where we see more of a pullback or more of a, a, a static market or a, a stagnant market. Where do you see collectibles role in that scenario? Look, you know, I think our view is that this is a marketplace, right? And, you know, markets of all shapes and sizes have periods of ups and periods of downs and periods of stagnation. I think that's, that's really a very healthy sign of a marketplace. Um, you know, our, our goal is to get iconic supply, right? Is to get some of the highest quality supply. The highest quality supply doesn't always go up. You know, obviously, you know, it was good timing on collectibles part that when we launched the business, it just so happened that things have gone up. I think that, that obviously helps our case short term. But really what we're trying to make the case of is that we really believe in sports collectibles as a legitimate asset class, right? As a legitimate, you know, sort of investment opportunity over long periods of time, right? So, you know, after talking with a lot of big collectors, a lot of, I know a lot of people are actually hoping that the market goes down, that uh, hoping that things trade down because it gives them an opportunity to actually buy things at better prices that hopefully have better returns over the long, 
in the long term. I think collectible is well positioned to be that exchange for long periods of time. And I, I know, you know, when I look at the public markets uh, and there are things that I love and really want to own more of, I root for the market to go down all the time so I can buy more of it. Right. So I, th I think some of those dynamics are actually at work here for as many people who love you know, the fact that the market's gone straight up. There are a lot of other people who actually hope it goes down. So it gives them a chance to buy things at lower prices that they that they really believe in longer term. How big of a market do you think there is for this? You know, will, will you ever run out of cards to acquire that kind of fit mm -hmm. that that criteria? Yeah, our our view is that this is probably today it's anywhere between a 10 to 20 billion dollar marketplace. Uh, but I think it's been in, in total or specific to the, the types of assets that collectible would be fractionalizing in, in total, in total. Uh, our view, though, is that this marketplace is, will actually be dramatically bigger, right? It will actually be dramatically bigger once uh, some of the technology and some of the different types of uh, ways to get exposure to it improve, right? I think you're, you're seeing that across the board with some other companies that are starting to do really innovative things, whether it's collectible. I know Golden Auctions are, you know, is doing something really innovative. Uh, you know, I, I think you have people who are coming into this who are providing um, you know, some heightened technology, you know, a, a different way of looking at it. And so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think this is easily a multi-billion dollar category at the highest of levels. And uh, again, I think with the advent of different technologies, of getting more participation, of allowing people, of more people to get exposure to it, growing internationally, bringing some real money into the system. Uh, I, think, I think the opportunity for expansion and growth is, is really there. You talked about you coming on as CEO, as well as an additional management team. Can you talk a little bit about what that team looks like? How big of a team do you have? you know, what are their backgrounds? How do they play into building out what you're trying to do? And, and how big of a, of a team do you, you think you're going to be working towards in the, in the coming years? Yeah. You know, we, we have an amazing, amazing team, a really amazing team. I, I, you know, I, I think this is a perfect opportunity to kind of give a shout out to that, to my team, right? We, we've all been working tirelessly for, for months, for, you know, for, for almost a full year, at this point to kind of build the product that you see today. Believe me, it is not easy work that, you know, that in, in a lot of ways, securitizing things and taking these collectible items public is a real labor of love, but we're doing it because A, of course, we think it's a business opportunity, but we think we all love the hobby. We all have experience in the hobby. We all love sports. And we thought that there was a way to kind of modernize this, to democratize this, to knock down existing barriers of entry. So we're, we're incredibly excited about it. You know, the, the team is expanding. You know, we started out with three people and then it was five people and now then it was seven people. Now, now I think we're 10 people all in full time. Uh, we've also, you know, been really strategic in the types of partnerships that we've established and the types of, of advisors that we've brought on. Uh, you know, we think that it's important, you know, when you're doing something innovative, that it's important to be innovative, but it's also important to be familiar to people who've been in an industry for, for a long period of time. So I think you've seen some of that both new world and old world thinking with collectible. And I think that's, that's one of the reasons why I believe that the market has reacted favorably to the collectibles entrance. You know, when, when we first got into this, I'll never forget, there are a lot of people who said uh, that the hobby has a really bad track record of embracing new types of players and new types of technologies and entrance. I, I heard that many times. I, you know, I heard that about the grading agencies when the grading agencies were first coming onto the circuit, that 
they were a flash in the pan and people thought that they were not sustainable and that they did more wrong than good for the hobby. And I think when you look at today, you can't argue that grading companies aren't a bedrock, a real foundation of the industry, right? Uh, I heard that about breaking culture, that people you know, thought that breaking culture was terrible for the industry, that it was bringing this element of gambling and speculation, right? Um, now, I think they brought a tremendous amount of excitement. They brought you know, new ways to participate. Uh, and they brought a lot of new participants, right? So I, I think that fractionalization is that sort of next iteration of, of growth for the industry. And really, if you love this industry, you know, I think you should be excited that the more people are taking notice of it, the more people are recognizing and, and appreciating and loving the hobby that all, of, that all of us really love. So we're really in it to kind of grow the pie for everyone to kind of um, expound the virtues of the industry. Again, we all, everyone on our team loves the industry, has a tremendous passion for it and really wants uh, the, the industry to grow and succeed and thrive. And I think the way that um, all those things is possible. Yeah, it's interesting to me. I, I, I love the story of disruptors personally, you know, when it, when it comes to things. And I think you guys are serving the role of, of a disruptor in our, in our trading card world right now. You know, what you've described is a different way to quote unquote collect. You know, it's, it's not, you're never, no one who is buying into these fractionalized shares is ever going to physically hold that card. And that appeals to a lot of collectors, right? That's one of the things that, that collectors like is being able to hold it, own it, and, and, and have that card to look at whenever they want, right? And this is different than that. And that's not necessarily a, a good thing. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just different. What I'm curious to see is, will some of the people who come into the industry because they learn about what you're doing and think it's cool to own a piece of those iconic cards, will that further translate into them joining the rest of the hobby and kind of the more traditional way to collect. And, and I think that's what sometimes some of us longer term people in the hobby have a hard time making that connection that sometimes people doing something different brings a new market that isn't doing the traditional thing to start with, but eventually joins the rest of that traditional market. I was curious if you've had any experience through the conversations, the customers, the people who are buying in, have you seen much crossover between kind of the traditional collector in the traditional market, as well as the people who are participating in your mm -hmm. fractionalized opportunities? So my, I think that's a great question. I think that's a really awesome question. And, you know, I, I don't know that I necessarily have the answer for that right now, just because we're, we're so, yeah, we're so early into this, but what I can tell you is that, you know, in my circle, right. In my friends, um, people, we were not talking about cards. We were not talking about collectibles last year. We were not talking about it two years ago. Right. I, I was actually with my entire family uh, over the weekend and we were all sitting around the table uh, talking about the 1955 Sandy Koufax Topps rookie card. My dad, who's a collector and has been a collector for generations, said to me, I never in a million years would have thought that my family, my extended family, would be sitting at the table talking about a sports collectible. Right. So I think what it's doing, right, it, it's sort of a perfect gateway drug into the industry. Right. Our industry is amazing in a lot of ways, but it's actually, I don't think people necessarily appreciate this if you've been in for a long time, but it's complicated. It is not easy to sort of understand all that you need to understand to be educated and participate the way you want to participate, right? So I think one of the things collectible can do is to simplify it, 
right? We, we sort of curate for people. We, we do the best we can to educate people, to, you know, to tell them why we're putting something up in the marketplace, why we think it's relevant and culturally and historically valuable. Yeah, I mean, our, our hope, right, is that people will come to Collectible as sort of the, the first entrance into the marketplace and, and they'll stay and they'll appreciate all that the industry has to offer. You know, one, one thing, I, I think that's a little bit of a misnomer about Collectible is, you know, people think, you know, is fractionalization a substitute for physical collecting, right? I, I actually view it as a complement to physical collecting. And I, and I say that because, you know, we... Almost everyone on collectibles management team likes to physically collect cards as well. All of us do. Right? I still got a card collection. I think literally you go down the list of people on the management team. Everyone has everyone has cards that they hold physically. The unfortunate reality is that the stuff that collectibles uh, is providing to the marketplace is stuff that none of us could individually afford for the most part. Right. So you know our motto is collect physically what you can afford and what you love, and invest fractionally or collect fractionally in things that you never. Otherwise, would be able to. Right? So it's sort of a, in my view, it's a complement, not a substitute. And I hope that that comes across in our product. And I hope that comes across for for hobbyists who who have that concern. A lot of the offerings that you've released so far have had no problem selling out and, and in reaching that that full sales capacity. I'm not sure the exact term that you use, but but have have all the shares have been been purchased quickly. I'm curious, as you've gotten started over this last year, what's been the biggest hurdle that you've had to overcome to get going and, and to get, get that customer base built? Yeah, so the, the, the hurdles have definitely changed as we've evolved a little bit. So I think hurdle, the early hurdle was uh, education and trust, right? I, I think education of what is fractionalization, what are the benefits to it, what are the drawbacks to it? Uh, why sports collectibles? Why should I care about sports collectibles? I think education was a big one early on, and we worked through that, uh, you know, for the first couple of months. I also think trust was a major one. And in particular, I say trust because in the way collectible operates, it has to operate. It's an SEC qualified entity. Um, you know, we have to ask really personal, sensitive information. A lot of people get turned off by that. And, you know, I think one of the biggest hurdles that we had to overcome was do people trust collectible? Do people trust collectible with sensitive information? And do they understand why we have to ask that in the first place, right? So I think those were, were, the, were the two hurdles initially. And, you know, that, that, that confidence and trust factor is something that we, we, we really work through every single day. And hopefully the more you know, time that we're out there and, um, you know, the, the, the more trust is created, the hurdle that we're having to deal with quicker than we ever thought was growth. Right. I mean, you know, I think uh, our product probably could use some work. Right. I think we, you know, we, we the, the um, you know, the, the growth of our marketplace, the speed at which things are happening, the demand that we have, the growth of our users. Right. It's uh, it's forcing us to really sort of, you know, sort of get our product up to speed uh, in a way that we didn't necessarily have to. We, we weren't anticipating having, you know, almost 30,000 users with offerings selling out, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of offerings selling out in literally a matter of seconds, right? So I, we weren't, when we were building our first iteration of the product, we weren't thinking that, you know, that type of scale would be necessary so quickly. So I, again, I, there's, there's plenty of hurdles. Again, it's a difficult, challenging business in a lot of ways, but we're, we're excited. And I think because of the challenges and the difficulties, that's, that's sort of where opportunity lies, right? If it were so easy, everyone would be doing it. It's, it's, it's not easy. And uh, we're, we're, we're thrilled 
uh, on a very macro level, we're thrilled with, with the reception we've received and, and I hope people are, are enjoying the product. So what's coming up next? What, what are some of the, the offerings that are, are coming up soon and or what are some of the other new features? You touched on kind of a continued expansion of the ability to trade on the, on the marketplace. What are some of the other things that you've got coming that you want people to be aware of? Yeah, we have we have we have a lot of stuff coming. A lot, yeah. I think the 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 biggest one that we're most excited about is the expansion of our secondary market. Uh, there is no such thing as a continuous live secondary market in fractionalization. We're going to be the first company who does it, right? To so really think about you know the first true stock market for sports collectibles. Uh, these these items, the collectibles, will trade nine thirty to four o'clock five days per week. Uh, that is a massive massive innovation that we're we're excited to roll out uh, on the product side. We are introducing a queuing system, right? So it'll, it'll help, I think, uh, with the scale and the speed of the product. It'll help uh, with some issues we've had about overfunding deals when demand is so high. So you're going to be seeing that uh, on the product side coming up soon. I think, you know, we could also are rolling out uh, a new UI UX interface to sort of improve searchability uh, on the platform. We'll be rolling out a desktop version of this. So right now we're just mobile application. Uh, in the next coming, uh, coming months, we'll have a website as well. Uh, which, which I think will make it, you know, sort of, uh, easier for, for people to kind of view us and use us in a lot of cases. In terms of the offerings itself, we have uh, about $45 million worth of stuff that we're going to be uh, unleashing to the market pretty soon. Some amazing, amazing items. Two in particular I'm excited about just because I just think they're amazing items. This is not securities advice. This is not investment advice. I just, I'm just think these are awesome pieces. Uh, one again is that uh, Babe Ruth rookie card, 1916 PSA 7 for $3.69 million. I just think it's, it's an iconic baseball collectible, an iconic American history collectible. So we're really excited about that. Uh, away from the cards for a second, we're also doing uh, a 1959-1960 uh, Wilt Chamberlain Philadelphia Warriors, his rookie, his rookie jersey, the top and the shorts from his rookie season. He had some unbelievable performances. And the, the, the cool thing about vintage jerseys compared to modern jerseys is that oftentimes they wore one jersey for the entire season, not you know one jersey a game, two jerseys a game. So we're, we're incredibly excited about that. But we'll, we'll have plenty, plenty of stuff coming uh, if you're into vintage, modern, baseball, basketball, football, hockey, soccer, you know, golf, you name it, we, we're going to have offerings for you. And so if people are interested in checking it out and learning more about you and learning more about Collectible, where should they go? Where, where, where should they find go to find out more of that information? Uh, so our, our main product, again, is a mobile app. So you got to download the Collectible app. On uh, It's available both iOS and for Android. So you, you can go to your app store and download it there. Our website is www.collectible.com. Collectible with an A, not an I. Uh, and you can check us out on pretty much any social media channel uh, at Collectible app. Very cool. Well, thanks for joining me, Ezra. Thanks, Mike. Pleasure. Thanks again to Ezra for coming on and talking a little bit more about Collectible. I have not yet tried it. I've not yet bought into any of the offerings that they've made, but I'm slightly intrigued. And so I'm going to continue to check it out. And if there's something that that really seems like it's something that I want to own a piece of, then I think I may check it out. Uh, definitely am interested in following along to see how things progress. The fact that they now have a liquid market with their new marketplace uh, really overcomes a hurdle that I think a lot of people had when they thought about this. And, and you know, for a, a time, I think some people thought it's just kind of like funny money. Yeah, I might own a piece of it, but I can't do anything with it. Well, now at the marketplace, you can. And I find that very interesting. 
Let me know what you thought of this conversation. Let me know what you think about Collectible. Reach out to me at my email, waxpackhero at gmail.com. Reach out to me on Twitter at TheMikeSummer. I'd love to hear what you thought about the conversation, and I'd love if you would tell a friend about the show. Still looking to continue to grow our audience and grow our community, and you telling a friend that you like the show does a lot to help us continue to grow and help more people find the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute. That's all I have for you today. Thanks, and I'll catch you next time.